but that's why she had that dress made. I'm going to let her introduce herself, and she said she wanted to share something real quick. Flip the switch. It is on? Okay. Well, Keribu, that means welcome in Swahili, and um, I just wanted to introduce myself. Um, I'm Cindy, and I used to say the missionary's wife, and um, I just would follow him around, but I was in denial, and um, I don't say that anymore. I, too, am a missionary, and we've been doing missionary work for 36 years, and we've been privileged to go to many different countries. Uh, currently, the Lord has us in Kenya, Africa, and out of all those mission, missionary journeys, I would say this is one of the hardest places, one of the darkest places, but he obviously prepared us. And um, I just, as I knew we were going to share in Roswell, um, the Lord just, you know, he said, you know, uh, I want you to share this. There may be someone out there that could be young. I'm glad the youth group is with us. It could be anyone that has heard the call from the Lord to go um, on the mission field, and not just out the door mission field. I'm talking international or to the ends of the earth. And I didn't think I could do it. I was just a country girl, but um, the Lord has provided. Um, the scripture that he gave, Lane and I, um, one of our uh, stones of remembrance, one of the, the scriptures that he gave us was Psalm 139, 9 and 10. Um, and it is... Um, Let's see, I thought I, I knew it by heart. <laughs> and I do, but I'm a little nervous. Excuse me. Um, uh, I lost it. Oh, here it is. So if I settle on the far side of, if I settle on the far side of the um, sea, even there, your hand will guard, guide me. Your right hand will hold me tight. And so the Lord has held us this whole time. Um, uh, through, these, through, through these missionary journeys. And so anyway, if anybody feels like the Lord might be tugging on your heart to do so, Lane and I are here. We'll be here through the rest of the week. We'd love to have coffee with you, have a New Mexico enchilada together, whatever it is. <laughs> and uh, we'd answer your questions, pray with you, guide you, whatever that might be. Um, if you're online, you know you can go to our website, calvaryreliefint.org. And um, again, we just thank you for the opportunity to be here. In Kenya, they are very hospitable, just like you are here. And they would say you are welcome again and again. Asante sana. Thank you, guys. Uh, enjoy the presentation. Just set it down. OK. My wife and I were saved in 1985 way before you guys were born. Um, it's been 36 years now. I wasn't pointing at you. I was pointing to them in front of you. <laughs> He's laughing. <laughs> um, we were having a pretty poor time at life. We were, didn't know how to do it. We were 21 years old when we got married, 25 years old when we finally tried it again in a new town. So we went to San Diego, California, where we got drugged kicking and screaming into a church. It was Horizon Christian Fellowship, San Diego, with Mike McIntosh. Um, I remember telling my sister, I will go with you one time just to shut you up. Please don't ever invite me again. I'll go one time, but never again. I went that one time, and my wife and I ended up 
crying like babies, and our lives were changed forever on that evening. From there, about a month and a half later, I found myself getting involved in a Bible college and uh, Horizon Christian Fellowship Bible College. It was a one-year program, and it was for just whoever wanted to learn more about the Bible and learn how to evangelize their neighbors and friends and their work workmates, and if you were so inclined and called to go around the world, they also opened doors about for that as well. So at the end of the School of Evangelism and our studies there, we were invited to go to Mexico, and we ended up in Mexico for six weeks, and we came home from that practicum, actually, um, saying, well, we're called to be missionaries, but not in Mexico. So we sought the Lord, and we ended up going to an island in the, um, in the Caribbean down by Venezuela, off the coast of Venezuela. Its name is Grenada. It's the very last island of the Caribbean um, chain of islands. And at that time, it was only um, freed from... Well, President Reagan at that time, about 1985, I believe it was, uh, sent our troops in to liberate Grenada from the Cubans who were backed by the Russians who were setting up secret bases to attack Florida and the east coast of, of the United States. And so President Reagan went in and liberated that country and put an end to all of that. And these communists had shut the doors of all the churches. And so when we got there, it was a very dark place. It was very um, filled with voodoo and witchcraft. We saw some very uh, scary things as brand new uh, young Christians that molded and shaped our lives forever. Uh, It helped us to grow up as Christians um, quicker than the majority who, you know, have never seen those spiritual things the darkness of demon possession and, and uh, spiritism and curses being put on people. Um, you know, if you've never experienced it, mainly it just sounds like you're reading from a book, but it's all real stuff. And over the next uh, 35 years, we've realized how real it really is. We came home from Grenada and went back to work and went back to the normal life, and we tried really hard to be normal people, and it just didn't work for us. Uh, We were just empty inside, and we knew that we had a calling on our lives to leave our families and leave our country and go back into Mexico. We left Mexico saying never again. It just wasn't tasteful for us. We just didn't really think that that was where we were called. But we ended up living there for 10 years. We planted churches and we started a Bible school, a Horizon uh, Bible Institute down there. And uh, in the six years that I directed that Bible school, um, over 110 students went through. And pretty close to 40 to 50 percent of those people are full-time pastors now, planting their own churches and planting many more besides their own. And then the others, probably 20 or 30 percent of those are still involved in ministry, and and I'm in contact with a lot of them. Facebook's a wonderful thing. Um, Not 
all Facebook is a wonderful thing, kids. But when you're, you can communicate with people around the world in an instant, it's a wonderful thing. We came home from Mexico about 18 years ago and kind of floundering again. We weren't sure exactly what we were supposed to do. Um, so I came to my pastor and I said, you know, I'm a missionary. I'm supposed to be out there. And, and I was a contractor and we supported ourselves and supported our ministry for many years doing contractor work. And um, I went to him and I said, I'm just empty. I don't know what to do about this. And he, he looked at me and he said, have you ever considered that God might be able to use you more here in the United States than he could in some village somewhere on the other side of the world? And I looked at him, and I go, are you serious? <laughs> no, I don't think that could possibly happen. Over a period of several years, um, being the missions pastor of Calvary Chapel, Sonora, California, in the north, north part of California, um, I had the opportunity to, to travel around the world and went to several different countries, including um, Cuba and Venezuela and um, South America, Peru and Chile and uh, all through Africa, it was um, really a blessing for me to be able to be a part of a missions-minded church that said, wherever you feel like the Lord is calling you to go. And so we visited our missionaries and other Calvary Chapel missionaries, and, we, and I spoke in uh, pastor's conferences um, in many different countries. And like I said, we've been home 18 years now, about six years ago, I had the opportunity to spend six months in Uganda and South Sudan. And I spent that time in South Sudan with um, Wes Bentley. You guys support Wes Bentley and, and his ministry there. And when I came home from that trip, I was, again, just drastically changed on the inside. I um, had seen things that I hadn't seen before. I seen... Um, when, when my partner and I, the, a pastor from Southern California and myself, were crossing from Uganda into South Sudan, it was just my partner and I going into this country from Uganda. Only us. There was no other people on this side of the street. There was no waiting. There was no lines. There was, there, in fact, we had to go find a border patrol because nobody had been coming through for weeks but on the other side of the road, there was over 250,000 people that poured out of that country in a one-week period because war had broken out again. And I remember looking at my pastor friend going, you're sure, right, that God told you we're supposed to be going in this direction? Look at all those people are going that way. But during that trip, it really did change my heart. And I came home and I said, God, why are you showing me all these things, these desperate situations with children dying and people being displaced and, and these huge refugee camps popping up all over the place? And all they are is just they try to become safe, and so they put them in fences and, and they kind of guard them a little bit, but it's a really dangerous place to be in because everybody is so desperate. They get food whenever the government allows food to come to them, which is not very often. And these places have been there for years and years. And so when I came home, I, I sat in my chair and I prayed and, and it was winter time and I, I lit a fire in the fireplace and I sat there and I ended up sitting there for a couple of months. I shut my business down knowing that God was calling me one more time 
to make a step, to leave everything behind. And that's when Calvary Relief International became a reality. He began showing me faces of people that I knew in East Africa who were doing an awesome job of planting churches and ministering to their own people. Planting 14, 18, 20 churches in very, very difficult situations. In tribal war, in starvation areas, and, and in other areas where um, the drought had gone on for so many years that pe- people and animals were just dropping like flies. And here these men were out preaching the word of God. The Lord told me that my job was not to go and preach the word of God only anymore. And now I was to get physically involved. I was to come and I was to preach in different churches and I was to take this to my pastor and I was to work on this end to provide everything I wish to provide some of the stuff that these pastors need to do the calling that God has called them to do in impossible situations. I'm going to have a few minutes at the end of this presentation, but at first I want to be able to get into the Word with you and and let you know a little bit of what God has been speaking to me over the years about missions and how important it is that, that we understand God's heart for reaching the nations. It wasn't just an afterthought at one time that, that Christians had that, oh, maybe we should go around the world. But would you go with me, please, to the book of Isaiah, chapter 49, verse 6. I don't see what time. What time did we get started there? Am I finished here at a little before 8? Is that okay? Okay. Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6. This is a prophecy. This is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. And he's speaking to the nation of Israel at that time, but he's talking about Jesus. He's talking about the coming Messiah and what his purpose will be when he finally comes. What, maybe 2,500 years later? Maybe 3,000 years later? And here Isaiah is saying, is telling us the purpose of the Messiah. In verse 6, Isaiah 49, verse 6, it says, It is too small of a thing that you, with a capital Y, that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles so that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. In the very beginning of time, in the very beginning of civilization, when God began to speak to men and through men, and as these men, carried by the Holy Spirit, began to write down these thoughts and these visions, God's heart was for the whole world, not just the nation of of Jerusalem, of Israel. They never did really get it, did they? They were wanting to keep it to themselves, to keep everything that God had to themselves. So, I stumbled across this uh, last week or so. My wife and I have been reading through the book of Acts. And in Acts chapter 13, 
It says in Acts chapter 13, verse 47, I'm going to jump to a few, and then we're going to come back at the very end to Isaiah 49. But in Acts 13, 47, Paul brings the purpose of the Messiah home, and he switches the responsibility from the Messiah only to you and me, to the Jews and the Gentiles alike. And he uses this same verse that Isaiah wrote down thousands of years before. And it says, For the Lord has commanded us, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. No longer did it fall only on the shoulders of the Messiah. Now, with the coming and the death and the resurrection of the Messiah and the ascension of Jesus Christ into heaven, now that whole responsibility has put onto his people. It has been put onto you and me as believers to be involved in God's purposes, not just in our own communities, yes, very important, and stay involved in your own communities. But he wants us to be more nations-minded. And it's such a blessing, I think I mentioned this on Sunday, to come across this church and to look at that pamphlet that you guys have out there with the amount of missions organizations that you guys support in a small church. You know that there's big churches, big Calvary Chapel churches that aren't supporting fra a fraction of missions like you are. It is such a, so refreshing for me as a lifer in the mission field to see that people get it. Because the majority of the times when I'm talking to a pastor or to somebody about missions, their, their eyes grow cold and their, th their thoughts go back to, you know, I've got to go to the bank and I've got to do this and I've got to do that. Missions is not in the forefront. It is not on the tip of their tongue. It is not even, many times, it's not even a consideration. They've never sat down and prayed, God, how do you want me to be involved in reaching the world? And we'll talk a little more about that later. But here it is. The calling was put on the Messiah to be God's salvation to the Gentiles. Paul turns it around and he puts it on the believers of Jesus Christ saying that you will be my salvations to the end of the earth. Jesus comes and he says, God is light. And then he also says, I am the light of the world. And then in Matthew 5, he's 16, he says, you are the light of the world. And that's so confusing to somebody that doesn't understand that God is light, Jesus is God, and Jesus lives and dwells inside of us now. That was the plan from the very beginning, from day one, that God the Father was going to give us God the Son as a light to become our light and there's a song that we've sang since we were children, This Little Light of Mine. I'm going to let it shine. I don't like that song anymore. Now that I've been thinking about it, that is not a little light. It's the biggest, brightest spotlight that we've ever seen. It's a spotlight that comes out of our mouth and it comes out of our eyes and it comes off our shining faces and it comes out of the way that we walk and the way that we, that we love and the way that we minister. It's the light of God that dwells inside of us, that 
becomes the salvation of the Gentiles. How many Jewish people are in here today? Oh, none? Aren't you glad that God had a heart for Gentiles? Because you and I are Gentiles. The disciples did their job. They spread it around. Matthew 28, 18 and 19, the Great Commission. A lot of people call it the Great Omission. Or maybe it's the Great Suggestion. I think it's the Great Commission. All authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And in Matthew 24, Jesus also says, And the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world as a witness to the nations, and then the end will come. Do you want the end to come? Do you want to go be with Jesus? You want to hear that final trumpet call? It's funny, I've been, I've been lately the last year or two since I've been reading these and I've been focusing on the end coming when that last person hears about him. And I'll be in the bush out there with some of these people that you've seen in these pictures and I'll be putting my hands on them, praying for them to, to, to receive Jesus and through a translator and sometimes two translators trying to get it down. But, and I always turn them over to a national pastor so they get the message but I'll be praying for them. And, and do you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior and put down the gods that you've been worshiping since your ancestors have been worshiping them, them too? And, and they'll say yes. And I'll, I look like this. Wait a minute. Is that trumpet call? Is that the last one? Oh, come on, Lord. Okay, maybe how about this guy? And you go and you pray for people with that expectation of one of these days, that last one. It's going to accept him. And boom, we're going to be in Revelation 7, aren't we? When every tongue and tribe and nation and peoples is represented at the throne room of God, worshiping before the throne and before the Lamb. I love that verse. Mark chapter 16 says that same commission, the great commission, but in a little different way. He says that Jesus said, his interpretation was, Go and preach the gospel to every creature. And a few verses down below that, it says, And the disciples went and they preached everywhere. They did something right, didn't they? They heard him with a commandment, and they went and they did it. How often do we see that with the disciples? They usually are bumbling and doing things bad, like like me. Making a lot of mistakes. But this one, it says, Jesus said, Go and preach to every creature Just a couple of verses below, it says, and they went everywhere preaching the word of God. They preached so much that in the book of Acts, it says that they were accused of turning the whole world upside down just a couple years after Christ was dead. Why do you think the followers of Jesus Christ risked everything, including their lives, to preach the gospel to the world? I believe it's because they heard the words of Jesus saying, go into the world, and they took him literally. We visited a Calvary Chapel on the way here, and I won't mention places, but I was heartbroken. 
Sundays are not the best day. I, I, know I met Phil on a Sunday, and he was gracious enough to give me 10 minutes in the back back there. And I, I understand it's a time when pastors are do their majority of their work. They're praying for people and communicating with people. But the pastor where we were, I walked up and I introduced myself and I was hoping to give him a card, you know, and just like I did with Phil, and, and we're gone. You know, and please look up our, our website and uh, let me know if you, you know, want some more information. And I took, looked at him, I said, you know, we've been Calvary Chapel missionaries for 36 years. And he looked at me and he said, you know, the mission field is right outside that door. And he walked away. And I went, what? It, it, it was heartbreaking. Not only did it give me a chance to even say hello, and I looked at his mission board, and they, the only thing they really did that was overseas were, were some of those Samaritan purse boxes. And those are a great thing. Don't stop doing those. I think you guys do those too. They are a great things. We received thousands of them when we lived in Mexico. They do a great thing. So keep them up. So like I said, it is refreshing to step into Calvary Chapel Roswell. It really is. I believe that the disciples left everything and risked their lives because they took Jesus to, literally. It was clear to most of them what they had to do, and they did it. You know, Peter had a problem. I, I said most of them because Peter had a problem, didn't he? He had to have a special vision three times. The same vision over and over and over before he finally went, uh, yeah, okay. And then they sent, he sent somebody to him to come and drag him over to a Gentile's house. And he walked in going, I'm not supposed to be here. He still didn't quite get it until the Holy Spirit fell on them and proved to them that he had chosen the Gentiles at that time. You know, there's a whole bunch of Christians in that era also that heard the same call as a lot of these disciples, and they, sat, they kept sitting where they were until God was forced. I don't know if God was forced is the right word, but God felt it appropriate to bring a great persecution to the church. And what did that great persecution do? That great persecution scattered Christians all over the known world, and everywhere they went, they preached the, the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ, salvation by his name. I hope it's not going to take that for America. America was the number one missionary sending agency in the world or country in the world. We have cut that in half, I believe, in the last 50 years. Um, England was at one time. There was thousands of missionaries. Some of the most well-known missionaries around the world came out of England. England is nearly an unreached people group now. They are down to like 5 or 6% believers, not counting the Anglicans and the Catholics and all these, but the real, true Christian Jesus followers, disciples of Jesus Christ, are down to about 5%. I think it's under 2% is an actual unreached. Scotland, Ireland, they are down below 1% now. And they were also some of the biggest Christian missionary sending countries in the world. We have problems in our country. We have COVID in our country. We have politics in our country that is disgusting right now. But of what I see happening is the devil's last ditch attempt to keep us in our seats and to keep us looking inward at ourselves. 
Our neighborhoods, many times, many churches are not doing a lot because they're afraid to go out, especially with this new variant going out now, and, and they're protecting themselves, and they're not doing the evangelism, they're not doing the outreach, they're not going to the, the door-to-door to sick people's houses. I mean, they might contaminate me. But what happens is that, that Satan is using all of this garbage that's, that's flooding our children on, on social media and flooding us through Fox News Channel and all the other ones, that it's just, just it's a huge distraction of God's calling upon his people. I want to challenge you because I've been challenged to stand up, to live for Jesus Christ, to walk with him, to allow his light to shine through you. And remember, it's not just his light. You now are the light of God to a world that does not know him. You know, history tells us that Andrew, one of the disciples, went into northern Europe. That's a long ways from where he lived. Bartholomew, it said that he went all the way to the Caspian Sea. You know that that's about that far on the map? That's a long ways for somebody to walk. Even if he can get in a boat and go across the ocean, it's just a huge undertaking. They risked their lives, and many of them, well, all of the 12 disciples except for John died, right? Only reason John didn't is because he was tough. Now, he, he had protection for some reason. You know, at this point in my message, I need to go back to the Old Testament briefly again to lay a foundation of God's heart for the nations. Otherwise, we might all get the idea that missions was an afterthought of God. You might think that it didn't really happen until Jesus stood there just before he ascended into heaven. He had already lived his 33 years, and and he died, and he came back to life. And at the end of 40 days of teaching his disciples, and he's getting ready to ascend into heaven, I can imagine that he just said, Oh, no, wait, 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 God, don't, don't, don't take me yet. I can't go right now. I forgot to tell them something. Go into all the world and preach. If you have time, please, would you do this for me? You know, it would be really nice. Maybe there's some people out there in the world that need to know me, and nobody else is there to tell them. If you have some time, maybe plenty of money, and and if you're not too busy, will you please pray for those that don't have anything? Pray for those who are being killed for their faith? I don't believe it happened like that. I believe that Jesus taught them all those three years by his actions, the woman at the well. I mean, just, there's just a whole bunch of them. He went against their culture, against their religion, and he went to those Gentiles. And he was condemned for it several times as well. He eats with prostitutes and Gentiles, the religious people told him. That in the Old Testament, missions is the foundation of the Old Testament. It's the redemption of the nations is God's priority all through the Old Testament. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob knew it. What was God's promise to them? God's promise to them 
was go into the land and I will, that I will show you and I will bless you and make you a great nation so that your seed will be a blessing to all the families of the earth. It, he was talking about the Messiah at that time. But then in Galatians chapter 3, he, he's talking about the Messiah, the seed of Abraham being the Messiah that would come. But in Galatians, again, Paul switches it and says, but you are the seed of Abraham. Once Jesus left the face of the earth and went back into heaven, he left that responsibility to his people. David knew it. He knew that the glory of God was to be spread amongst all nations. As he confronted the giant in 1 Samuel chapter 17, David tells Goliath, On this day I will deliver, God will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you, and I will take your head from you. I'm glad he didn't stop right there. Because so many times in Sunday school we teach our children that the story of David and Goliath is all about you can also conquer the giants before you and overcome them and you can become a really good Christian. And that's part true, yes. But that's not the reason why David killed the giant. The very next verse tells you, tells us why. And it says that I will take your head from you and strike you so that all the earth will know that there is a God in Israel. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that cool? I'm going to do this. God's going to empower me to do this. Not so that I'm great. Not that we have a fairy tale or a, a Bible story to tell our children. But it's because you want to reach the world. You want the world to know what just happened. You want them to fear you. They want you, 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 want, they want you to, to know that you're awesome and that, you're, that, you, quit, that you take over your, our enemies and you, that he beats them and that he actually loves his people enough to take care of them. David also wrote in Psalm 67, one of my favorite uh, missionary Psalms. In Psalm 67, 1 through 3, he says, God, be merciful to us and bless us and cause your face to shine upon us so that your way will be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Oh, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. His son, King Solomon, knew of God's purposes. In 1 Kings, we hear the story of, of how God, how the Lord made Solomon wiser than any other man to live on the face of the earth. And the reason was so that people from all over the earth would come and sit and listen to King Solomon explained the creation and the, the greatness of his God and how awesome and powerful his God was. In 1 Kings chapter 8, we see as Solomon was dedicating the temple of God that he just finished building, and he was praying, and he says, Hear, O Lord, and answer the prayers of the foreigners who come to your temple. 
So they will know your great name and your strong hand and your outreached arm, outstretched arm, so that all the peoples of the earth might know your great name and fear you. And a little further down in that chapter, in verse 60, it says, God, please remember my prayer for the foreigner so that the peoples of the earth will know that the Lord is God and there is no other. Moses watched all the miracles in the desert in the book of Exodus. He watched the miracles. He watched the plagues against the evil one. Everything was, was um, done in the open. He, he, took over his, he, he took care of his people and he took care of their enemy in plain view of all the nations that were around them. And to the fact where for generations they would send spies in or people would overhear the enemy talking and they're talking about how great the Israelites God is and they were fearful of going to war against them. We have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We have Daniel. There, those guys experienced horrible, horrific persecution against them. And it says it turns out for God's glory. It's not time quite yet, honey. <laughs> She's going. In the very, very beginning of all of this, Father had a plan. And he, he wanted to involve us in the redemption of the world. Isaiah knew it when he wrote, it is too small of a thing that you should be my servant only to raise up Jerusalem and bring back the people from Israel. So I will make you, Calvary Chapel's Roswell, Roswell, Roswell excuse me, as a light for the nation so that my salvation will reach the end of the world. You and I are the light of the world. You and I are God's plan. That's a hard one to swallow sometimes because I know me. I know my failures and I know my sins. But God has taken a step out of heaven and he introduced himself to me. He stepped out of the universe and he stepped into my life. Not so I can only be saved and be happy and have a nice retirement in heaven. He chose me, just like he chose Paul, just like he chose you, to reach out to our neighbors, to reach out to the world. It's such a beautiful thing. He invites us to come alongside of him in winning the world for his name. In 1994, Kevin Carter, the Pulitzer Prize winner of, of this picture right here, he was a photographer and he traveled around the world. This was taken in South Sudan, or in Sudan in those days. There was no South Sudan. This is called The Vulture and the Little Girl. It got very famous in those days. New York Times had it, and, and Life magazine had it, and they shared it around. You know that six months after he got this award, he committed suicide. He wrote a letter saying that I can't stand it anymore. 
watching without participating. The, the, the story goes that, that he saw this child when he was on his way to a refugee camp and, and he took this picture and then, and then he went on his way after chasing the bird away. But he left the child there. I have set you as a light to the Gentiles. Someone, somewhere, is depending on you and me to do what God has called us to do. This is a, a missionary lady. I don't know this. I found this online. I've seen her story. I've read her story. She lives, um, I believe, back east somewhere. But she went on a short-term mission trip. She met this little boy. That little boy is five years old. That little boy weighed about 30 pounds. The little boy probably would have survived maybe another week, except for God intervened by sending the light of the world into his life. That little boy is now in his 20s, and I've seen pictures of him, and, you know, he's just a regular old little um, United States boy. You know, he's got clean clothes on, and he's threatening his stuff, and I, I understand that he's a preacher, that he goes out and he shares the word of God about how God saved him physically and spiritually. I would rather be her than the Pulitzer Prize winner. You know, Christians usually don't get the big prize and the big recognition. They usually get the small recognition, but a great big reward in heaven. Calvary Relief International is also, we also call it CRI or CRY. And I came up with the cry because I'm a crybaby. I'm usually cry when I'm talking about the grace of God. And there's more than one time that I'm trying to explain to people about how God, how God sent his son to die for them. And, and I'm doing it through tears. I'm choking up. And when, I, when we got saved, I, I cried for like three weeks straight. I could barely breathe. I was bawling like a baby as God was showing me my sin and how I affected other people. And then his grace for forgive me, me, that sin. So cry for the nations. Through cry, we're reaching out in the name of Jesus to some of the world's most vulnerable people. People who have no help. People who are involved in tribal war, persecution, poverty, and extreme famine. And the front top right there is at the end of the dry season when that river dried up and just a couple of weeks later, that's how fast it dries up and goes down, and that hole is about 12 feet deep and every year they lose in that riverbed alone in about a two-mile stretch, they lose about a dozen children because they get caved in on and they get buried. We're trying to build a well out there by the grace of God. It's very, very expensive. We do church planting, and where we are planting churches, it is very necessary to do crisis relief. Education in Kenya, southern Kenya only at the moment, and then the Great Commission. Church planting, we do construction and support. We support pastors. We support Bible schools. We have three Bible schools now. Two we have built from the ground up and placed our teachers in there, native teachers. And then the third one is, um, has no building there in a church that we built, and they're, they're studying there now. In the north of Kenya, with the tribal people, Samburu and Turkana people, 
Um, Pastor Stephen is the one that Pastor Phil was talking about on Sunday, and he has a vision. You said 40. It's more like 140 villages that this man has his sights on that he's been praying for since he was a child is why I chose him to come behind because he's a challenge. This guy is so passionate about reaching his own people. He is married to a Samburu woman. So we have the Turkanas and the Samburu who have been at war with each other for generations. They kill each other kill each other over water and food and land and anything that ever happens. I mean, they, they have machetes and they have spears. And now, because of the Muslims that come out of South Sudan and Ethiopia, they've got machine guns. And they're wiping out whole villages of women and children and, and men um, in retaliation for a dozen cows being stolen. So our construction and support is for these pastors so that they don't have to try to find a way of scraping and living in the desert. So now we can pay them $50 to $100 a month, and it's a, surviving, it's a survival um, wage that keeps them alive. This is a Bible school that is um, in process now. That, that's our newest project right there. Uh, Southern Kenya, we're, we're raising up leaders down there and then also in the country of Burundi, which is um, over on the other side of, of East Africa, down below on the south side of Rwanda. And it is considered the very poorest country in Africa, which puts it in the top five of the world as well. These, this is our first church project out here, and this is our first, first converts from that area. Uh, mostly you'll see only women in these pictures because the men are, are, are uh, shepherds and they're out with their goats and their cows. And um, So these are some of our construction projects. In the areas that we do reach out to, like I said, it is extremely impoverished and it is um, in great need of food, water, and medical assistance. And we do our best, but... It, is, like I was telling, I, I believe David uh, Southward and his wife, that a bag, uh, a 60-pound bag of, of rice used to be like $15, $16 when I first started this five years ago. And after the droughts and after um, COVID and all this other stuff has happened, these same $16 bags are over $65 now. And my friend just told me on, on by email the other day that they're going up to $75, $75 a bag. So the $10,000 that we used to spend per quarter all of a sudden just got raised up to about $50,000. Um, it's a hard one to keep up with, and I have to be very wise. Can't, do we do permanent buildings and medical clinics and wells and things like this, or do we keep people alive for a couple of weeks out of a quarter out of four months, I, I appreciate your prayers on that because it's a very hard place to be when my guys are calling me and saying, my people are dying. What do we do? We are working together with a man that I've known for 30 years and he was discipled by my pastor in Northern California when he was a missionary in Kenya. He planted the very first 
Calvary Chapel, not just in Kenya, not just in East Africa, but the very first Calvary Chapel on the continent of, of Africa. Um, Pastor Gitu, one of my dearest friends, and his wife, they started Anchored Hope Schools, and we've been behind them. Calvary Chapel Sonora and now Calvary Relief International have been behind them for several years. Part of that education process is our daily bread school feeding programs. We feed them and also other schools as well. And it is always the case that these children have one meal a day and they get it at our schools. And they are usually given enough to be able to take home for their families for the weekends. If it wasn't for the supporters of Calvary Relief International, many of these children probably wouldn't be here today. The last thing is the, the Great Commission, excuse me. I strongly believe that God is still saying, go into the world and teach, baptizing. So we invite you to go if you can. And I know that most of you can't. And I don't believe that, that God has called every one of us to go. Some of us have callings in our lives. Others are called to be pastors and disciplers here. Other people have jobs, and they have important jobs in the medical, in, in the construction, or whatever it might be. But I do believe that each and every believer should at least sit at the feet of Jesus on a regular basis and say, God, how can I be involved in the mission field? I know that you had um, a missionary here in the Congo, and I'd love to meet that guy, and maybe we can tie together sometime. Um, but so it's going, it's going in, in person, like my wife has gone a few times with me now. And these people here went a couple of years ago with us, and we just prayed for people and preached when we could with interpreters and. Um, I always go to the pastors and have pastors' conferences and sit down with them and, and minister to them as they all are just living horrible, horribly stressed and, and hard lives. So we invite you to be a part of Calvary Relief International or whatever God tells you to do because I know that you have several different missions organizations. Get involved in one of them and see how God will bless your life because you're fulfilling the call of go into all nations when you support or when you pray or when you go. Monthly giving is a very important part of, of our ministry because I've explained to you just a fraction of the expenses that we have. And for us to be able to grow and to be able to plant these hundreds of 40 churches that Stephen wants to plant, that's just one of the four guys that we support out there. Um, it takes an army, and God has been faithful. I remember those first few weeks coming home from South Sudan and sitting in, in front of my fireplace with my Bible on my lap going, God, you've got the wrong guy. I don't know how to do this. I can go, and I can preach, and I can love on these people all my life, but you're asking me to do something I've never done before, is share a vision that you've given to me, and, and maybe, maybe it'll be somebody else's vision someday as well. That's why I'm here. Not to beg for money, I don't do that. But to ask you to look into the open door in heaven and ask God, how can I help?
How can I help the world? Most of you have seen this already, but I'd like to close with this. This is my daughter's voice. That's why I like it so much. Oops, we got no sound. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to bring hope to a lost world? Have you ever wondered what it would be like to bring life-giving water to a thirsty village? to bring Jesus into the lives of little children. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to help the poor? what it would be like to feed the hungry. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to bring joy to the brokenhearted? what it would be like to change a life. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to be used by God in all of these ways? Then we invite you to cry for the nations with us. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your great love and your great mercy on us. I thank you that your heart was for the world, otherwise we wouldn't be sitting here tonight. Those men and women who led us to Jesus, Lord, bless them tonight. Those pastors, those co-workers, family members, fill them with your Holy Spirit. Encourage them tonight, Father, with our lives that we're walking strong in you. I thank you for your passion, Father, for reaching the Gentiles. Otherwise, we would be nowhere. 
Bless this church, Father, as it ministers around the world. Bless it as it challenges each other to minister to each other. Pray for each other like tonight was so beautiful. We bless your name, Lord, and we thank you for allowing us to be a part of what you're doing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you very much.